Hello and welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams and this is episode one. where I specialize in naturally dyed yarns for knitters and makers who care about where their wool comes from. I started my journey with dyeing a little under two years ago, and it has led me down a bit of a rabbit hole working to find local wool sources, meeting small producers, and even going to shearing school, which didn't work out super well for me, but I digress. We've seen in the media recently several different attacks on wool itself, with some of the most notable examples being Duluth Trading Company's clothing tags that advertise no smelly wool here and instead promote their microfibers that ultimately are damaging to the environment. And of course, PETA's new campaign with Alicia Silverstone stating, be kind, leave wool behind. Not only are these marketing tactics playing on falsehoods and misinformation, but they're also having a very negative impact on the wool industry, which in reality should be celebrated. After all, wool is fire resistant, insulating, moisture wicking, antibacterial, and biodegradable. Does it smell? Well, a sheep can certainly smell, but it's highly unlikely that wool that has gone through that intensive processing will still have any lingering odors. Um, And is shearing painful for a sheep? No. And in fact, it's actually worse for a sheep not to be sheared. And either way, I see far more positives and nearly no negatives when it comes to the use of wool in everyday life. So throughout this podcast, my goal is to provide more information on wool and other natural fibers that we see in the knitting community and to speak with local producers that work so hard to provide this for us. So please feel free to share this with other makers who might be interested in learning more about their sources. And let's go ahead and make that impact together. And now on to the main part of the show. Oh my god, it's so I don't know why I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So joining me today on our very first episode is Shepherdess Stacy Drazo from Drazo Family Farm, located in Lonsdale, Minnesota. And she is currently the exclusive local wool provider for my business, Garden Wool and Dye. Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. No problem. All right. So just kind of getting started here. So I know that you and I are pretty well acquainted, but just for everybody else listening, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do and how you got started? Um, let's see. We bought our farm 10 years ago and we started with some cattle. And then a couple years later, my husband was like, my uncle John used to have sheep. I think we should get sheep. And that's pretty much how it all started. Um, and we started looking up 
um, different breeds and we decided on the Cormo breed because they're very docile and they're dual purpose. And I figured if, if I uh, didn't, you know, really grasp the whole fiber thing that we could always butcher them and eat them. And I know that might sound harsh, but um, we raise all our own uh, meat on our farm. So that yeah. that's the thinking. Uh, okay. Well, that, so, but you guys didn't always live on a farm though. So is this something that you just kind of randomly decided one day or have you always wanted to live on a farm? I think that um, I used to do some consulting out in California like 30 years ago. And I think it's when I was out there for about three years, I just came back and I decided I wanted to live on a farm. So then when I met Kevin, that's something else that he had in common with me. He grew up working on farms, but not Mm. living on a farm. So it took us 12 years to find this place, but we were you know, actively looking for 12 years for a farm that kind of had, you know, our dream of a long driveway and not too many dilapidated buildings and a solid barn. And um, so, yeah, it's something that I always knew that I wanted to do probably once I hit my 20s. And I think that's because I spent so much time in the outdoors uh, throughout college. Um, just hiking and being active outdoors so yeah and it's it's a gorgeous property because I've been there and really it's not only that you have like your own driveway but you really have your own road you guys are the only ones on that road isn't that right yeah we're on a dead end so um it takes once you turn off the main road it takes about three quarters of a mile to get to our place and it's very private because we are on a dead end so we are very fortunate to find this yeah yeah and it's it is super super gorgeous out there thank uh, you yeah so okay so we know that that you've got the cormo um and then some of it is crossed as well yes bvm which is stands for it's it's california variegated mutant right that's what it stands for correct <laughs> um and yeah, California variegated mutant. And I don't know a lot about the breed um, as much as Cormo, but um, they were, it was Rommeldale and then it was crossed to get the various colors because CVM, there's so many beautiful colors, um, you know, grays, browns, and then they also have the white. So we ended up, with CVM Corydale cross. Um, again, Kevin saw a picture of these two cute little lambs that had frostbit ar- uh, ears, not arms. <laughs> and he's like, we got to get these guys. They need a good home. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah. So um, we, we ended up with Millie and Paco. And... Um, through breeding, we have crossed Millie with our Cormo Ram. And then about a year and a half ago, um, I bought another Cormo crossed with CVM. Um, nobody, um, when they're crossed with the Cormo, is throwing colored um, lambs. Um, 
I get some of the natural brown colors from our, our the brown cornmeal rams that I have. So mm. that's where some of our colors come from. Okay. And um, the, well, I think it's really interesting that you do have some of the CVM in there because, um, well, first of all, they're supposed to be really unique to the U.S., like that, that they're only here. And then the other thing I didn't realize, so not only are they a heritage breed, but I guess they're endangered. So it's kind of cool that you guys have some of that like within your stock, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I got to tell you, when they're crossed with the Cormo, it's just it's just this really flouncy kind of looser fleece with a bigger crimp, but still really prominent. Um, they the the crosses have been just gorgeous. Still, just a really nice, um, longer you know longer fiber, um, and really nice and strong as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I've you've sent me some that are across as well, right? Not just mm-hmm. your Cormo, yeah. So yeah, and I've loved everything that I've worked with so far. It's that it's got such a nice structure, and then you know it's still got a softness, so it obviously feels really nice on the skin. But it's one of those that's so nice to work with in the sense that with Cormo specifically, it's known for having that bounce to it. So basically, like you knit with it, and you can almost really swatch without having to block it because once you block it it seems like and it dries it goes right back to what it was it doesn't really stretch a whole lot which of course I still recommend people always swatch because I've learned my (laughs) lesson too many times when not doing that but it was just I don't know it was really fascinating for me to work with that and then have it go right back to what it was originally yeah it's it's just such they're just such um like nice sheep as far as personality and behavior. And then, yeah, all the, the, I mean, that is just a bonus in addition to the, the awesome fiber that they produce. And then you and I both know the, they take, it takes dye phenomenally. So. Yes. Yeah. It does super well with that. Um, so what, what would you say now you've done a lot of stuff with your wall. Uh, Cause I've seen some of the projects you've posted online, like you've upholstered furniture um, obviously I've made sweaters from it, but what do you find, what do you personally feel like it's best for? I mean, ideally yarn, um, all, you know, spinning yarn, anything clothing, but what I like to do is I have little waste as possible. I use like every inch of my fleeces I feel like well one I think it's kind of disrespectful to the animal to like just throw stuff out because it might be dirty or have VM in it um I don't know I I spend all this time with the animals and I don't you know I don't want to waste that so um with shorter fibers I have it mill spun into coarse spun yarn and then I use that for weaving projects uh, rugs, baskets. Uh, I personally have not had anybody buy it to make clothing, but I know some people do. Um, and just like the heavier, like arm knit blankets and, you know, like the hand knit chunky blankets that are around. Yeah. Um, I like to use it for batting. Um, I've had bat made, have had bats made before for either quilts. Um, 
And then I've personally used it for upholstery projects instead of having the, you know, polyester fill. Um, yeah. Last year we did a project with Paco's fleece and he is now my, my reincarnated blue chair in the family. <laughs> so. I love that. And I know that too, I've had so many friends and even us too are starting to look at having pillows that have wool on the inside and mattresses that have wool just because of all the amazing properties of it. So that you could take, it, it seems like a fabulous idea to take those pieces of the fleece that maybe somebody wouldn't want as a hand spinner or for yarn and still find some way to use it for its benefits. And again, I think you're totally right about it being respectful to the sheep as well. That's really neat. Yeah. Another thing that one other thing that we do do is um, I don't do this personally. I have it done at the mill, but we have um, the shorter pieces pin drafted. And like I, I was telling you earlier before we started recording, I've been experimenting with dyes and then I'm going to use that for sewing projects because it's already, you know, felted and, and dyed. And now I can just go right into my sewing projects with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And um, so now we talked a little bit about this because we've talked about Paco and Millie, but you have every sheep and really every animal actually on your property has a name. Yes. And so usually some of them have stories behind them, right? Yeah, like we might have like a little theme going. We have, you know, we have the Golden Girls here, um, Blanche, Dorothy, Rose, and Sophia. Um, some of my kids' friends that are here often, um, they get to name a lamb. Um, I have one year, um, I spent a lot of time at my friend's cabin on Woman Lake and uh, learned a lot of Oli and Lena jokes. So I have a, <laughs> I have a Oli, Lena, Sven, Duda, um, and uh, the a couple people who I spend time with at the cabin who are no longer with us, uh, Ardell and Margaret. So, um, so it's just kind of fun stuff like that. Um, last year, my daughter Ava, who you know, mm-hmm. she has a thing for Dwayne Johnson. So. Um, I have a weather named The Rock, and then uh, we have Paul Blart. <laughs> it kind of goes the gamut, what kind of goofy mood we're in um, when we do the naming. So that's that's awesome. And can you are you able to tell at least some of them apart by eye? Yes, definitely. Um, some of them, it just depends how their fleece grows in. I can tell by their face if they're. Um, fleeces over their eyes. I know Penny looks a certain way, dirty Gertie, like you can barely see her eyes. Um, you know, Tubbs is just this big fat boy and he was named Tubbs and kind of just like grew into that name. Um, so yeah, most of them I can. Some of the, um, some of Millie's girls, I have a harder time because they look identical like each year. So like Blanche and Margaret, I really have to look at them and then check their ear tag to be like, oh, yeah, you're Margaret, you're Blanche. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think we can necessarily blame you for that. But I think if you, the fact that you can do most of them, that's pretty neat. And I mean, I, you know, I've been there too. You can sort of see, like, we were able to tell Dirty Gertie pretty quickly and yeah. some of the others. So, 
Right. Um, but yeah, and I know that too, that you spend a lot of time working on not just on the farm, but you do a lot of positive wool advocacy in your community. Um, so what kinds of things do you do to be involved and educate others? Um, well, one thing, one thing just basic is I always tell people, you know, where I get my wool processed. Um, I like to keep it local. Um, so I'm using two different mills right now. Um, one's only 40 minutes away and one is about two hours away from me. Um, I've found that as my flat grows, I kind of do need to split my stuff up between mills. Um, so that I can get my product a little bit faster than if I brought everything to one place. Oh, sure. Um, and um, I'm just really transparent about what I die with, uh, where it comes from. Um, I also started volunteering for the Three Rivers Fiber Shed last spring. So I am their producer. What do we call myself? Producer Outreach Director. <laughs> <laughs> So I am actually working on uh, creating memberships and um, getting our producers. Um, we're starting a marketplace or a fiber fest. We're uh, Three Rivers Fiber Shed Marketplace. We're having that at a winery uh, this June in Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, nice. um, so just really working with the producers to kind of expose them more so they can expose themselves and educate people by just being, you know, at fiber festivals, like, Hey, this is from right here in Minnesota. And this is what we can do here. Um, you know, that it doesn't need to come from far away that you can purchase and learn about everything. You know, did you recently, you did a class on, deworming right yeah um i had my friend alethea kenny come down here she lives up near bemidji and she is a herbalist and um holistic veterinary practices and she came down here it was last month and taught a class on herbs for deworming sheep and goats and it was just a small uh number of people that came to the class but it was just super educational because you you just kind of learned everything that kind of grows in your pasture naturally kind of has a purpose you know for the animals a lot of stuff that people considered weeds is is really helpful to the sheep to aid them in um you know defraying worms and just being a healthy overall animal that's really cool. And I mean, that really kind of ties into that no waste thing, too, because you're using everything that's on your property to right. basically help the animals that are on your property. Right. And it's like if it's in the pasture and it's, you know, it's considered a leave, well, the animal may like it because their body is calling for it and they're going to, you know, eat that. Um, and then there's just so much stuff in the pasture that people call weeds that you can use for natural dyeing. So it's kind of like twofold, you know, don't go mow everything down because your seed person may not know about all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that too, that you guys don't have 
just sheep, obviously, but right. what what other kinds of creatures do you guys have? Um, we have Hereford uh, cattle and a couple crossbred with Angus. We have one uh, cutting horse, Misty. Uh, she helps us move the cattle. Uh, we just have a small herd, about 10 or 12, by the way. It's not like a giant operation. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Idaho pasture pigs, um, and they are a foraging pig. They don't need to be grained. Uh, they live out on the pasture, um, and they're just, again, really docile, very friendly, um, very smart. One of them, we tell him to sit, and he can sit, and he gets a treat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Palmer. Um, and T just loves her belly rub like a dog, and she'll flip over um, and just lay there and have you rub her. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, and they're just funny to look at, as you know. Yeah, they're um, so cute. And then we have laying hens, um, numerous dogs, and some barn cats. Yeah, that's that is like quite the herd. And you have you have one special dog that we all love who's Hi. you'll ha- yeah, you'll have to tell me again what that breed is. I never remember. He's a Akbash, which is a Turkish livestock guardian dog. Yeah, and, and how how old is he now? Um he is almost 13 months and he's just a very big boy. Um He's probably close to 110 or so pounds. And when he stands up, you know, when he jumps up, he's like taller than six feet. He's just a very long and lanky dog. And he's still a puppy, so he's still super clumsy. And it's very entertaining to watch him run. (laughs) (laughs) I love him. I think he's so sweet. But yeah, he is. I remember he stood up against a fence and he was and I'm almost six foot he was well surpassing me well surpassing so yeah and we have yeah and we have Lucy our other livestock guardian dog who is uh Anatolian cross and we thought she was big at 75 pounds but he just dwarfs her and it's very funny to they go on like a morning jaunt together they run the property and then they come back, and then he'll go back in with the sheep. So, oh my gosh, that's so you got cute. a little thing going, yeah. Oh, uh, and you guys, you t- you have like your whole family is involved in this, right? It's not just you doing it, and it's not just your husband doing it either, right? Um, my boys help out with all the hang because we we put up our own hang and uh, dog chores and uh. When we grain some of the cattle, they'll help with that. Um, my daughters help with the daily chores. I do all the morning ones, and they do they split the evening ones. Um, and Kevin just kind of gets stuck with everything else. <laughs> so, but we, I mean, we all do stuff together, and you know, the kids will come help with with other chores that are needed. There's there's always you know, more to do um, when we start rotationally grazing the sheep again or moving cattle or loading them up or whatever needs to be done. It's usually yeah. all hands on deck. And your youngest, she's, well, she, she's getting into fiber arts as well, isn't she? She's a better spinner than I'll ever be. I uh, Yeah, and myself as well. Yeah, she really enjoys 
all the fiber out. She's trying a little bit of everything. Um, I think my other daughter really enjoys more spending time with the animals and doing the chores. Um, one of my sons will, anything that's motorized, he's, he's there. He gets to use the tractor. He gets the move stuff. He's on it. And then my oldest, not so much loving the farm right now, but he still, he still helps out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and speaking of actually the rotational grazing. So kind of going back to that. So yeah. one thing that drew me to you and your farm and, you know, not just like the sheep that you have, but also is your passion for positive land stewardship. So what mm -hmm. kinds of things do you do specifically to take care of the land on your farm? Well, the one, actually one of the first things we did was we kind of, we had some ponds here and uh, the largest one had the berm. It was like this man-made kind of wall holding back the water into a creek behind us. Um, and that water collects, we're down kind of in a valley. So that was a big collection spot for rainfall um, from all the neighboring farms. So it comes down into our property. So one of the first things we did, um, we've rebuilt the berm um, to help with the erosion um, that goes into the creek. Um, we let the cattails grow back up and we have muskrats that just kind of help maintain the, the cattail uh, population because oh. um, they'll do that naturally. That's what they build their huts out of. Um, I know hut isn't the right word, but their houses and everything out of. Um, and then we rebuilt a smaller berm for another pond. And then with the, we did a rotational grazing um, and it's expanding kind of every year um, where we move sheep from one, you know, pasture to the next and it's done with uh, temporary fencing. And that's just to help the, well, it helps with a couple things, but it, it, it makes it um, beneficial to the sheep because they're getting lots of nutrients with fresh hay. Um, and then it's able to grow back or grasses and flowers, everything that's growing in that area. And then you move them the next day. Um, and that also can help with worming uh, or worm issues. But it, that takes about three months to be free of worms from one pasture to the next. So if you can do that, that's great. Um, but by doing rotational grazing, we're able to use... Uh, less fertilizer on the hay fields, um, you know, so then there's less runoff into the ponds and it all just kind of, the pieces all just kind of click together how everything benefits here. Yeah, because you guys you, even, you even got an award for your water quality, right? Yeah, it's a certification from uh, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. Um, let me get the name correct because I always say it backwards, but <laughs> we're now a certified Minnesota agriculture water quality farm um, that we, and what it does is it recognizes us for using uh, best management for agricultural practices that, I'm reading this off the paper, can you tell? <laughs> that enhance water quality 
of Minnesota's rivers, lakes, streams, wetlands, and groundwater. So awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. It was very cool to get it. So, well, and I know that we've talked before about some of the challenges that come with trying to be transparent because you are somebody who really strives to be transparent in your sourcing, what you do, where you get things processed. And you also even open up your farm and, and home really to visitors. They can come through and tour. Uh, what are some of the challenges you feel like you face with having that type of open transparency? Um, the, well, uh, the amount of questions that you get and, you know, like, why are you doing this? And sometimes you feel like people are really prying from a business sense, I'm going to say, would be the downfall. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's simple as kid management because children come down here and they're not used to all this space and they're like, just like running wild and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it it can be simple as, you know, really simple as that. Um, But I I think it really helps when you open up your farm. Um, We don't do it that often, but there's, you know, certain people that can come that have like an open door policy and then, there's other times where we just have certain days of the year where folks come down and they can see everything. Um, I think kind of the, sometimes the weirdest feeling that I can get from doing that is like, are people going to start quote copying me or doing the same exact thing? I mean, what, what I do is no different than a lot of people, but sometimes you're like, am I giving it all away? You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a really common concern with anybody who has any form of a business. It just feels like, you know, so much these days, you know, your audience really wants to be so involved in your process that Mm -hmm. you kind of get worried that, well, if I just tell you everything I do, then, then am I obsolete, basically? Right, right. But. But I don't think, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that nobody can ever do something the same way as you because they're not you and you have that personality and your personality is one of my favorites. I have to say like your sense of humor is great. Your compassion is amazing. You know, your ability to just be really flexible and to want to learn everything about what you do. I just think it's so admirable. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I guess you also get like where people, when people come down here and they question you, they're like, okay, do are they asking this? Cause they think you are harming the animal mm. by certain thing, you know? Yeah. Stuff, stuff like that. Like I, I was at a trunk, I had a trunk show a couple weeks ago and somebody was asking me about shearing. Cause I think there's a lot of stuff going around in the internet about don't buy wool because the animals are sheared. And and what I think people don't realize is that it is five minutes of an entire year that the animal is sitting on their bottom. You know what I mean? Or on their yeah. side to be sheared. It's, it's not, you know, some people shear more than once a year. They might be, do twice, but lots of animals are also put in like a standing 
uh, stall where they're not, you know, quote, sitting on their bottom or on their side or anything like that. So I, mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that's why the questions were being asked of that, but I was able to be, to like click and say, Hey, you know, it's only like five minutes. Yeah. I mean, a good shear should really have them in and out in that amount of time or less. And those animals, I mean, I just went to shearing school and while I can't do it myself, um, I mean, it's just, they they do they did explain to me about how sheep have such a rigid spine so they are able to really be moved around quite a bit without <laughs> that discomfort and they try to do all those things like you know withholding food and water before they do shearing to try to lessen the amount of discomfort they might feel in their guts while they're they're going through that process but yeah i mean it is it's amazing it's almost like a dance you know you watch them as they kind of shift them from one side to another and it's so quick and it's so gentle and then they're done and yeah and I mean, they're, it's, they're healthier for it. Right. And then you get the happy jumping and running and everything. Oh, you know? that's so cute. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing to watch after sharing. So, yeah. Well, so, yeah, I think that's another thing is always like, what angle is this person coming at when they start, you know, targeting certain questions towards you? I think that's the other thing about being transparent is, is, is what I'm going to, is what I'm saying going to be taken out of context. You know, and yeah, with- exactly. And with that much, like that kind of misinformation that's really floating out there, people really hold on to that like a dog with a bone without really understanding the process. Well, I know that we could literally chat all day, but yeah, we probably, should, we probably <laughs> should wrap it up. But if anybody is wanting to learn more about you, you know, where can they find you? Um, I don't have my own website yet. That's one of my goals for this year. We'll see if I hit it, but, um, I'm on Instagram and I do some Facebook, not a lot anymore. I have an Etsy shop. Um, and there I list like the fiber festivals that I'll be at. Um, and then, yeah, you can always just look me up. I'm also in the Minnesota grown directory or in the fiber shed directory. So Okay. And then your Instagram handle, I know, is just, it's at Drezo, D-R-E-S-O-W, Family Farm, correct? Yep. And that same, same for Facebook. For Facebook. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. So, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and uh, giving us all this amazing information. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for asking me. Again, I'll go ahead and link to Stacy's information in the show notes, and you can get those at www.woolanddye, so www.woolandye.com slash podcast. And if you could go ahead and leave a rating or review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. That allows us to get a little bit of a boost and get in the ears of more individuals who might be interested in learning about wool. So until next time, see you later.